Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. But what I want to look at this morning is the kind of church God's looking for. What is the kind of church that God is looking for? There are a lot of different types of churches out there. And I believe that there's different callings for different churches. I really do. I don't believe that, I don't believe that every church is to be the same any more than any. We're all to be the same. Uh, we're all to be different. God is really into an eclectic mix. He's got a good sense of humor. Just look around this morning. I mean, look how different we are. Uh, some of us would never hang around together if it weren't for Jesus. And, uh, but yet we're spending time together. It's an amazing thing, the different backgrounds, the different looks. And, uh, and the same is true for churches. God has different purposes for different churches. But there's a specific purpose God has for this house that I want to zero in on. I really want to kind of spring off of what de Havilland shared last week. How many of you enjoyed having de Havilland here? I just, I fell in love with her. We're going to have her and Will back sometime. We'll, we'll have them back together, the dynamic duo. And, uh, but I, I was just, just so enjoyed having her here. And it was good to have a woman preacher just delivering the word. Someone who preaches authoritatively. Yes. I mean, I'm used to hearing, having a woman tell me what to do at home anyway. So, you know, I'm just kidding. uh, Whoa, 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 man. Did you feel that? It just left the room. No, no. I'm just kidding. No. And, uh, I'm a man under authority. Hey, the Bible says submit one to another before it tells a woman to submit to a man, right? I read the whole passage. Hallelujah. All right. So I want to look at this. I want to just throw out this thought this morning, and we're going to get more into this. Uh, I want to read a passage to you. Second Samuel chapter five or second Samuel. Yeah. Second Samuel chapter five. Look at verse 5. We're going to read through verse 10. I'm just going to read this very quickly. At Hebron. Now, the backstory on this is when David... David has just received his third anointing. David had three anointings. David is a type of Christ. Jesus is known as the Son of David. Which is a remarkable thing. That the Son of God takes on the name of one of His created beings. But God so loved this guy David. He had a great name. He had, he so loved this guy, David. The name literally means beloved. You gotta love me, David. And God so loved him that he identifies himself with him throughout scripture. I love that, that the Lord. And if you look at David's story, there's some sordid stuff going on there. Okay. This isn't just small stuff. We're talking adultery and murder, but yet God calls himself He identifies himself with David and calls his son the son of David. It's a beautiful thing because of David's heart after God. And so in this story, David's received his third anointing. David has three anointings. There's a first anointing where he has a promise of the, the crown. He has a promise of the throne, but he doesn't have the access to it yet. So he has an anointing with no position. That's a frustrating thing. You've got a promise, you've got the anointing to fulfill the promise, but you have no outlet to do so. But that's a necessary season in every one of our lives. And if you don't pass the test there, 
then you're going to forfeit your future. So then the second anointing, David received an anointing to rule over par- the partial promise. He, has, he, receives, uh, uh, he, he receives the crown to rule over the tribe of Judah, but the other tribes still have their own king. And so David has an anointing for a partial, uh, 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 to rule over the partial fulfillment or partial promise. And that, that happens for all of us. No, nobody just steps into their full destiny as an event. Your destiny is a process, okay? It comes into us incrementally. And faithful and little were made faithful and much. And here we see in this passage, David has now been crowned over all of Israel. And the first thing on David's agenda is he wants to take Jerusalem. He wants that city. And I've had this thing brewing in my heart for some time. What was it about Jerusalem that was so attractive to David? Why did David want Jerusalem? And this, this idea of Jerusalem, which was also synonymous with Mount Zion, Zion, this, this idea of Jerusalem and Zion became a template for what God would bring us all into as believers. Hebrews says that we have not come to Mount Sinai where there's trembling and fear and there was thunder and lightning that, and, and we, we dreaded to even touch it lest we die. But we have been brought unto Mount Zion, a spiritual Jerusalem. So this physical city that David saw as the ideal uh, capital for what he wanted to accomplish as a king, this physical city became a spiritual template for what God has brought all of us into. And I, I really believe that Jerusalem is also a template for what God desires. David, being a type of Christ, longed for a specific type of city. And Jesus, as the Christ, longs for a specific type of church. And there's, there are markers, there are elements of Jerusalem that God is looking to establish in a church. And so I want to look at this. So that's the backstory to this passage. So look at verse 5. At Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and then six months. And at Jerusalem, he reigned over all of Israel and Judah 33 years. So he, was, he ruled over a partial kingdom for seven and a half years. And his headquarters was in Hebron. But once he got the third anointing, the fullness, he began to take nations. That third anointing brought him into the fullness of all that God had for him. And the first thing on David's agenda, I want to secure Jerusalem. And the second thing, I want the Ark of the Covenant there. And so, and the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who said to David, you will not come in here, but the blind and the lame will ward you off, thinking David cannot come in here. There are some scholars believe literally that the Jebusites put blind and lame people on the city wall and just sat them there to mock the Israelites because they said nobody can take this city. It had been a fortress for decades and decades and perhaps centuries, really. And so David goes to this pagan city and he wants to take what was known as the city of Jabus. It was the Jebusite city, had previously been known as Salem. And David would begin to refer to him as Jerusalem, the city of peace. And so David goes there. That's the first thing on his agenda. And the Jebusites are mocking him over the city wall. And so we go on here. It says... Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is, the city of David. He renames it the city of David. Now, I think it's fascinating as a side note. There are two cities 
in Scripture that are known as the city of David. There's one from an earthly perspective that is called the city of David, and that is Jerusalem. David coined it as the city of David. But from heaven's perspective, the angels referred to another city as the city of David, and that was Bethlehem, where he was birthed. So there was the one that produced David and the one that David produced, and they were both known as the city of David. And the angels affectionately looked at Bethlehem as this city they loved, the city of David, because of who it produced. Because even the angels loved David. I think part of it was his name. Um, Anyway... That's a side note. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is the city of David, and David said on that day, whoever would strike the Jebusites, let him go up the water shaft to attack the blind and the lame who are hated by David's soul. Therefore it is said, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. And David lived in the stronghold and called it the city of David. And David built up the city from the Milo inward, and David became greater and greater for the Lord, the God of hosts, was with him. And it inaugurated this tremendous time in Israel's history of just exponential expansion and the enemies were falling left and right before David as he stepped into his third anointing and established this headquarters called Jerusalem. So what was it about Jerusalem that David longed for? Why did David want to take Jerusalem and make that his headquarters? Some scholars will say, well, it was centrally located. You know, Jerusalem or Zion is known as the city of the great north. But yet it's not in the north, it's centrally located. It talks of the, there is a river that flows that shall make glad the city of God, referring to the water source in Jerusalem. But if you look at the water source, the grandiose terms with which the prophets refer to these geographic uh, markers The city does not warrant the grandiose terminology used to refer to it. It, It's said that it's beautiful in its elevation. Matter of fact, there's prophets that refer to Jerusalem as the highest of the mountains. And they're talking very generously because it isn't. It's just kind of a little hill. It's not with the highest of the mountains. It's, it's not up to the north. Matter of fact, Baal had a mountain. Baal worship had a mountain to the north, and it was referred to as the city of the north, the mountain of the north, and it was looked at as where Baal operated out of. And so the prophets looked at Jerusalem, and with spiritual eyes they saw things that others didn't see about this little city. David being one of them, because David was numbered among the prophets. What was it that David saw? They looked at it as this massive mountain, this river that flowed from the thresholds of the temple and fed the nations of the earth. But if you look in the natural, it was kind of a little rock hill and had a little stream that fed it. And that's what this passage is talking about. Because David understood, David had a revelation from God. The way to get into the city, you're going to have to go through this spring. There was the Pool of Siloam and that David and the, I think it was the Gihon Spring. And so David understood there's a water source that if we can climb up that shaft, which was a gutsy thing. Now think about this. There was this pool outside the city and David said to his guys, the guy that will swim, dive in this pool and swim up the water shaft into the city. He believed that there was a water shaft connected that would go into the city and he was right. How he figured that out? I think was divine divine revelation, because I don't think he did it by scuba diving. 
He had to die, they had to dive in that pool and up this narrow water shaft through the cliffs and then come up underneath the well and then climb up out of the well and then you could take the city. And there was a guy, Joab, that we read about as David's general. Joab was the guy who said, pick me. He was crazy enough to jump in. And some scholars believe he had to swim as far as like, I mean, several hundred feet underwater. And they don't know if it's going to get too small. I mean, you're swimming along, it's getting tighter and tighter. All of a sudden, you're stuck, you know, I can't back up, can't, look, 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 you're dead. But he, he had the guts to jump in, and sure enough, he swam through the water shaft, climbed up through the well, which that in and of itself was a pretty gutsy thing, because all you have to do is you hear some rambling down in the water shaft, look down there, there's an enemy soldier, yeah, give me a rock, Poof, no more enemy soldier, we won the war. But he climbed out of it, ran and opened the city gates, and David took the city, and he made it. The citadel of God. He, it, it became a template for what we enjoy as New Testament believers. I was thinking this morning of an old song. I don't know if any of you remember it. We're marching to Zion. Beautiful, beautiful Zion. Anybody remember that song? Or am I the only one? Yeah, I was, I was getting happy singing that, man. You know, It sounded better in the bathroom. But uh, man, I... It's a template of the kingdom and what we've come into as believers. What was it about this city that made David understand he needed it? Some people say, well, it was because it was centrally located so we could rule the north and the southern kingdoms, unite them. But that doesn't explain why as a young man, when David killed Goliath, David was about 17 years old, took on Goliath, and he lopped his big old head off. He had a big head. More ways than one. He took, his, took that hair and he drug it, Scripture says, to Jerusalem, to Jabus. And he parked the head in front of that city. Why would he do that? Years in advance. It's because David, as a young prophet, alienated from his earthly father, out on the back 40, got intimate with God, and he began to see things that others didn't see. And David understood something that nobody else had the revelation of in Scripture. You see, the history of this city, Jabus, was that it was once way back in the scroll of Genesis, written by Moses, it talked of this city called Salem. And there was the father of faith, Abraham, that went to that city and made a, gave offerings to a king in that city by the name of Melchizedek. And this man was a priest king. Now, Moses, in writing Genesis, tells us that Melchizedek was a priest of the Most High God. Real mysterious guy. I mean, it, it, it's a weird deal because we don't have any lineage. We don't have any understanding of this guy's background. He just shows up and scripture says he was a priest of the Most High God. Now, some people believe he was Jesus and I personally disagree with them. And this is why. Because Hebrews says that a priest must be chosen from among the people. So that he can represent them well. And he was a priest, so he was a people. He was a person. But it was Moses who 
by revelation, understood he was a priest of the Most High God. Abraham had that revelation as well, and therefore he tithed to Melchizedek. But it wasn't until David in Psalm 110, and David in Psalm 110, David begins to talk about Zion being the place from which God will extend his scepter and begin to rule. That's what God is looking for. Churches from which he can extend his scepter. What we touched this morning, that's what God is after. Okay? Because when we, when that environment is created, God begins to extend his ruling scepter and begins to shift things in the spirit. And that's why we have got to take time. When God begins to show up in that way, we cannot afford to hurry things along. That's why we're, we're not here to play church. We're not here. The, the music is not to prepare us for a good sermon about how to live a good life. We are about our father's business and he is looking to raise up uh, churches from which he can rule and reign and begin to shift affairs on the earth. That's what he's looking for. And David understood that there was this guy way back there in Genesis, this guy that was a priest of the Most High God, and he was also a king. He understood there was this rare guy in which there was mixed the the role of a priest, one who would intercede, and a king, one who could release edicts to shift things in the earth. One who offered sacrifices and then could release authority. Moses had a revelation. The guy was a priest of the Most High God and a king. Abram had a revelation. But both Abram and Moses looked at him as an anomaly. They understood he was one man who was a priest. It wasn't until David in Psalm 110, out of intimacy with God, he broke into this revelation. And he he spoke of the order of Melchizedek. He understood there's a whole new priesthood here. There's a whole new thing going on here. A whole new dynamic that's happening here. There is a, another order of priest that David understood he could get in on. Because the other priesthood was close to David. That was for Levit- the Levitical line. That was for those who were born of the right bloodline. But there was something in David's heart that says, That leaves me out and that is intolerable. There was something in David's heart that says, I want in. I've got to get in. That's why David wrote wrote in Psalm 24. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can stand in his holy place? Why would David even ask this question? We already know the answer. The Levitical high priest. He's the only one that can go in. And David, you are not a Levite. You are locked out. But there was this hunger in David that began to ask that question. And out of that questioning hunger, David discovered a revelation of a new order of priest, the priesthood of Melchizedek. And David realized, I can get in on that thing. And David understood that Jerusalem, Jabez, had been Salem, and he understood that was the seat of authority for the Melchizedek priesthood. He understood something had been established in that place. What was it? David understood spiritual values. He saw things in the spirit over Jerusalem that others didn't see. The prophets all through scripture spoke of Jerusalem with these grandiose terms. 
that either they are being dishonest and it's almost embarrassing. It's like, guys, come on, get a life. You're a little too proud about this embarrassing little city. Or they knew something that people looking with natural eyes didn't know. They were seeing something that others didn't see. And it became the template for what God has invited you and I into as the people of God. The city was undoubtedly established because of this spring. Because in that arid climate, water was life. And if you didn't have a well, you didn't build there. And so somebody discovered this water source, and out of that came this city of Jabez. We don't know who established the city. We don't know if it was Melchizedek or if he was in a line of kings. We just know that he shows up on the scene, and he is a priest of the Most High God and a king, a priest king ruling over the city. But the city was built around the water source, and the prophets refer to that water source in these ways. There is a river, Psalm 46, that makes glad the city of our God. Jesus played off of this as the outpouring of the Spirit. He said, if any man is thirsty in John 7, let him come and drink, and out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. It's that river that makes glad the city of God. There's a spiritual template that was in Jerusalem. And so there was a water source. And when God wants to establish a people, He calls a people to drill a well. He calls them to access the waters of life. And when a church breaks into the waters of life, people will begin to camp around that and drink from that well. That's what God is looking for. The second thing that He secured is there was a man who sat on the throne of authority that also functioned as a priest. So there was a well, but there was a throne of authority. There was something established there, the priest king, that that connection between the two. And God longs to establish these houses. Let me just close with a quick story. Last week, when uh, weekend when de Havilland was here, there was... You know, several different churches represented on Saturday night. And there was, there was a couple of ladies from a church in the region. And uh, we were just going around praying for people. And I laid my hands on the pastor's wife. And I immediately saw something in the spirit. I saw this throne over their church. And I felt the longing and the satisfaction of God's heart. Because I felt, and I'm, I'm familiar with the history of this church. I've known several of the pastors I I felt this history, this longing in the heart of God to establish a church in that city from which he could begin to exercise governmental rule and influence in that city. And now with this pastor that's been there not real long, I, I, I could see that God now has that secured. He had a Melchizedek, somebody who was willing to lend themselves to the priestly role of intercession and also release things through the prophetic declarations of a king. And I just, I I could see this pleasure in the heart of God. And I saw the prophetic beginning to rise. This particular pastor just finished a book on prayer. And so they're doing a series on prayer, and I could see it in the spirit that that was going to begin to secure something. It was going to unlock a prophetic well, and God was going to begin to release things over the city. That's the Melchizedek role. This whole thing about Melchizedek is a huge deal. God is looking for people who are not just coming to church to be blessed, but they want in on His purposes. They want to become an avenue, a vehicle. They want to own His purposes and release them into the earth. 
God is looking for people who will grab hold of the priestly role and the kingly role. We are a kingdom of priests. We are kings and priests. We are a royal priesthood. But we've got to own that. Those aren't just words. Those aren't just just a principle that floats around out there that just because God says it means we function. There's a lot of things that God says about us in His Word that until we own it, mine it out, and claim it, wear it, we will never fulfill the purpose of that role. And God is looking for those who will become royal priests, kings and priests. And then the final thing that was in this city that I believe established something that David saw. And that was when Abraham heard from the Lord. He said, get up and sacrifice your son, comma, the son you love, comma, to me on the mount that I shall show you. And so Abraham got up early that day, it says, and he, he loaded up his mule and took his servant and his son Isaac. And they began to go towards the mountain that God had shown him. Abram was going to sacrifice his son. And it was on Mount Moriah. As part of that temple mount. Of what became Jerusalem. That whole area. It was Solomon who built the wall. And expanded it to encompass. The well, the throne, and the altar. And the Ark of the Covenant. And expanded the city. The city was only 11 acres. It was smaller than the property we own here. And at its height, it was only 43 acres. But it literally became the epicenter of God's activity in the earth. And it became the template to what God does in the earth from here on out. So much so that heaven is often referred to as Zion or the heavenly Jerusalem. So there was this extravagant sacrifice that took place in this city. And there was something that was registered in the spirit over that city. David, later on, when he counted his fighting men and grieved the heart of God, and the angel of the Lord killed 185,000 people. And David ran out, and he, he ran to the threshing floor of Aruna, and he stood before this fearsome angel with its sword drawn, and he, he, he purchases the threshing floor of Aruna. And Aruna says, here, take it. Take everything you need for the sacrifice. And David said, God forbid that I should offer him that which costs me nothing. And with great cost, he purchases the ground that becomes the place where the temple is built. And all of these activities take place in that vicinity on that mount known as Zion. So there's this history of this great sacrifice establishing something in the spirit. So God willing, next week we'll get back into this and we're going to look at this subject. Because there's things the Lord wants us to, un- that He wants us to understand about Jerusalem because it is a marker. It's, it's like a template for what God longs for in a church. He's looking for people who are hungry for the waters of life, the outpouring of the Spirit, and they will drill a well until they strike oil. He's looking for a people who will function as priests and kings and embrace those roles. And he's looking for people of extravagant sacrifice. Your sacrifice matters. What Gene and Tisa, what you guys did is no small thing. When you take your belongings and you offer it to the Lord, those things come up before the throne. 
We have this idea of the, the free nature of salvation. And we so have an emphasis on that, we lose sight of the fact that our sacrifice moves the heart of God. That there is a part, a part we play in this thing. Over here, we're recipients. Over here, we're participants in this thing. And God is looking for extravagant giving to register our heart and move things in the Spirit. And when God finds a group of people like that, I'm telling you, something happens that in the natural can be undiscernible, but in the spirit, it becomes a great mountain from which the Lord begins to extend his scepter. Let me close with this this verse. I'm just going to read it to you. And go ahead and stand so you know I'm being honest. Listen to Psalm 110. Psalm 110. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power. In holy garments from the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. You know, Martin Luther, the great reformer, not Martin Luther King, but Martin Luther, the great Lutheran reformer, read this passage and he preached that this was a prophecy of an end time revival among the youth of the earth. That there's coming a a move of God God that the youth will offer to him like the dew in the womb, new birth of the morning, a new day. There's going to be new birth and a new day and there's going to be a new move among the youth. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, for you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And then listen to what it says. This is what God begins to do. What he did with David in the natural, he begins to do in the spiritual. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way and lift up his head. And what David did in the physical with the enemy, to the enemies, we go in and we shatter kings, principalities and powers and rulers and spirit, heavenly realms and begin to see nations moved. What God is looking for are Zion churches. People that will drill until they strike water, that will embrace the role of a king and a priest, and that there's sacrificial living because it moves the heart of God. We'll get into more next week. Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. Just lift your hands to the Lord. I'm telling you, what we, what we entered into this morning was part of that. God rules from the midst of his people. He rules from the midst of their praise. That's the place where he begins to take that scepter of authority and begins to shift things. When we hit those pockets during worship, that's when you need to begin to make those declarations over your life. Those things that you've been longing to see. The burden, the vision that God has put within your heart. That's when you need to begin to release those to the Lord. So Father, I ask God that you would stir our hearts. Lord, that we would cooperate with what you're doing, Lord. Hallelujah. Just put your hand on your belly for a moment. Father, we ask God that those those rivers of living water would be released from us, God. And Lord, that they would touch the nations of the earth. In Jesus' name.
Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com slash give.